What's up? How are you? I'm doing very well. How about you? I'm doing awesome. I just, this thing's been recording for a little bit and I had to get, I don't know if you can tell, but I, I put some lights in just to make it a little less dark. Yeah, it looks great. I I think it's still a little bit dark on my end though, but. It looks amazing. You look beautiful. <laughs> Thank Here, you. Let me exit out of that. How have you been? I like your shirt. Thank you. We have some good stuff to talk about today. I think we do. Some exciting yeah. UFC fights and then Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tiger. Hey. He's in, yeah, he's hanging in there. Gary Woodland. Okay, but so welcome back to another episode of All Gear No Game. Back here again with uh, Jonah Willard. And I think I'll, at the end, I'll do the thing where you subs- like say subscribe and stuff, you know, because I feel like that's better. Follow the Instagram. Yeah, follow the Instagram. You know the name. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you, what do you want to talk about first? Um, you want to go with golf? This, you wanna, I feel like golf's a tradition. Should we give our performers of the week first? Oh yeah, we can. Which is actually going to lead me into golf. Okay. Because my performer of the week is Tony Finau. Yeah. Who is leading the tournament right now, which is cool. Like first round leader. Oh wait, Gary, he took, he, um, Gary no, dropped. Gary, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, he's six under and I think Gary's four under. So oh, okay. both obviously in the hunt, obviously first round leader is cool, but it's not a massive deal. The real reason I'm picking Tony Finau in addition to being the first round leader at the Memorial is that at his home course in Utah, he shot a 59 this week. Wow. Which is a very big deal in golf <laughs> yeah 13 under par and he did it with a bogey which means he had to make 14 no he had to make yeah he had to make 14 birdies Dang. which is just unreal so shout out to tony fino big week for him yeah and then ricky's not doing too hot not too hot yeah this can I be he, he was, no he, he he did he was doing a little bit better though he started it, it was bad it, yeah, and it stayed pretty bad. Ricky, yeah. Going to be a trunk slam for Ricky this week. Yeah, and then Tiger, was he uh, even? One under par. He was able to break oh, okay. number 18 and get out of there in the red numbers. So he's it, – it's still – it's a wide open race. Absolutely, yeah. It does not matter. Um, anybody can come back, especially when you're only six under. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Tony Fina is good. I, I, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I've seen him do good. I, I, what has he won in the past? He's only won one tournament, which is the Puerto Rico Open. Okay. But he's come in second a ton of times. Yeah, so. I feel like he's come in second a lot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so he kind of has been like, it's a cliche, but due for a win. Like, mm-hmm. he needs to get that monkey off his back and get the second win, I think. He's got yeah. so much talent, though. I feel like once he kind of finds that second win they might open the floodgates you know yeah what is your hat uh eugene country club oh nice that's a really cool logo i didn't like recognize it at all yeah that's sick um i, I love how your outfits always are like coordinated like your shirt matches your hats and stuff thanks yeah i'm going all eugene today got the yeah i know i can tell country club hat i love it you're a little bit of a trader today you got to be careful walking around in corvallis wearing that stuff 
that's facts yeah <laughs> unless you just stay home all day which most of us do anyway yeah hopefully <laughs> but yeah so you want to talk about the bubble a little bit there's some interesting stuff that's been going on there let's do it with, with zion leaving do you have any comments on that mm, not really i mean i just am wishing him all the best like i don't think we know why yet to leave yeah. so i hope I hope there wasn't a death in his family. No, yeah, that'd be terrible. But I mean, like in terms of the Pelicans' chances in the future, like how do you that do you think that greatly impacts them, or do you think they can overcome it, considering that he's been gone the majority of the season? I mean, hopefully he'll be back in time to play Mm -hmm. basketball. Yeah, which we really have no idea. But yeah, if he's gone, it will be a big impact for the Pelicans. I kind of, and I don't have any knowledge to base this off of but i would have been surprised if zion had played too many minutes in the playoffs just because of how cautious they were with him um in the regular season i didn't see any reason why they wouldn't be even more cautious coming off of like a three-month hiatus when Mm -hmm. injury risks would be heightened i thought zion's workload would be pretty light anyway so in terms of the actual on-court product for the pelicans i don't really think this makes too big of an impact yeah but i feel like he's been putting some work in though oh for sure yeah he's definitely leaned down quite a bit yeah he looks good i think mm-hmm. i mean i haven't really seen too many pictures but from the ones that they were posting on um like social media and stuff he looks really good um but yeah he's a i remember when i, I watched a few games because they like televised the ones when he was coming back or whatever to see his debut because he's obviously a huge attraction. He was definitely like limited minutes wise. He was set on, he had a specific time structure, no matter like how, how well he was doing. Definitely. And I think that's smart with Mm -hmm. the Pelicans, like in a once in a generation guy like Zion, you only get really one shot at it. Although they got two because they got Anthony Davis and then 10 years later they got Zion, but (laughs) you really don't want to risk it, especially because like, they were a fun team this year, but they were never going to win the championship or anything. So there's no reason to put Zion in danger just so you can get the eighth seed. Yeah, I really like Drew Holiday. Yeah. He's really yeah. good. I yeah, think he's, he's underrated. Yeah, Drew's very, very underrated. Yeah, I like him a lot. And then I don't really, I didn't really follow them too much. I didn't really honestly follow the NBA too much because the Warriors weren't as solid, but that's kind of me being a fair weathered fan, I guess, but that's besides the point. I didn't really get to see how like well Lonzo was doing. He's doing better though, right? Yeah, he's doing a little better. And the biggest storyline for the Pelicans this season, besides Zion, has to be the improvement of uh, Brandon Ingram, who yeah had one of the biggest like single season shooting improvements I think I've ever seen in the NBA. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, which is just. Props to like the Pelicans coaching staff, how they could totally redefine him as a player. Mm-hmm. And super fun to watch, obviously made the all-star game. So Yeah, when he's coming out of Duke, right? They were giving him comparisons to uh, KD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a little bit of a stretch, but I can see how they would think that for sure. Yeah, tall, skinny wing who can handle the ball a little bit. Like you can definitely see the similarities, but yeah, but he's not a dominant scorer though. Uh, yeah, obviously Brandon Ingram has a long ways to go if he mm-hmm. wants to be anywhere near KD's level. The good, the great thing about basketball is you have so much time for development. I feel like, you know what I mean? Because I feel like. Um, Andrew Wiggins has been in the league for a long time and he's still super young. Yeah. 
also like D'Angelo Russell, guys like that, that. It seems like they've been in the league for a long time, but they're still so young. It's pretty cool. You get a lot of longevity if you draft the right guys, I feel like. For sure. Yeah, especially depending on like their style of play. Mm-hmm. Like Gila will probably be around for a long time just because of like the way he plays, whereas like Zion may be fully developed within the next two years. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely levels and gaps because those aren't even like Zion's like light years better, in my opinion, than like a guy like D'Angelo Russell and stuff. Obviously, yeah. obviously. <laughs> D'Angelo Russell was weird because he didn't do much on the Lakers, I feel like, right? No. And then he popped up on the Nets. Yeah. He had like one good season, huh? Or a couple. One. I only remember his most recent season where he was really good and he was an all-star and then they traded him and then he became a warrior. Yeah. Besides, besides that year, I really didn't hear too much about him. And I think D'Angelo Russell is quickly becoming one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Not one of the worst. He's quickly becoming a bad contract, though. Mm-hmm. Paying, what, what do you mean, though? Like, here, let me do a quick fact check. I think he's getting paid $22 million a year. He's getting paid 25% of the salary cap, oh. which is... Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. That's insane. Yeah, he's, he's getting Oh, he's getting paid $27 million next year. It's a four-year, $117 million contract, which, I mean, you probably watched even more D'Lo than I did this year just Mm -hmm. because he was on the Warriors. Yeah. But I think, like, it's obviously all fun and games when you're a great young player and led a fun young team like the Brooklyn Nets to the playoffs. But when you get that max contract and you're playing on a team like the Warriors where you're not this year, but usually, like, expecting to contend for the playoffs – like all of a sudden you have to really like step your game up and sort of justify the price tag on your head. And I don't really think Tilo took any noticeable steps forward in any facets of his game. And if anything, I took thought he maybe took a step back this year. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. He's, he's definitely obviously a really good shooter, but I feel like he's really free and loose and not afraid to do things, which is good and bad. Yeah, because you see him taking a lot of low percentage shots, but at the same time, you in a star player like that, you want a guy that's not afraid to take crazy shots. And he's a very bad defender. He has a tough time getting all the way to the rim. His lack of athleticism and explosiveness limits his ability as a playmaker on offense, which is obviously less of. He's a really good shooter, though. When he gets fired, when he gets heated up especially in the mid range off the dribble. Like he, he's very effective as an on ball mm-hmm. shot creator for himself. I agree. Yeah. And he take, he has some range. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw him t- he pulls up from way beyond the arc. He's got some depth to that three point shot. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I liked him, but I, he, he, for some reason when he was on the warriors, it was just like, this isn't going to be, it wasn't a long like this wasn't a long term deal, Mm-mm. especially when um, Steph came, would would come back in Clay. Right, and I thought that trade ended up working out very well for the Warriors 
with the Timberwolves. I thought the Warriors won that trade by a um, wide margin. Yeah. yeah. Which I think was an unpopular opinion and definitely at the time. Just because people are so much on the bandwagon that Wiggins' contract and is an absolute albatross and Wiggins is a bad player. And Wiggins is a worse player and a worse contract than D'Angelo Russell, but you also have to kind of look at the fit. And the Warriors definitely needed a wing player more than they needed D'Angelo Russell. And that's exactly what they've got in Wiggins. And in the short time we saw Wiggins in Golden State, he looked like he was playing pretty well in a Warriors mm-hmm. uniform. And then the and Warriors... You said, yeah, you said it best, though. He's almost that Harrison Barnes role, which is mm-hmm. going to provide way more longevity than a D'Angelo Russell. For sure, yeah. But And then the Warriors got the best piece in that trade, too, which is the uh, Timberwolves' top three protected 2021 draft pick, which I think is going to carry a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so... So you do want I since I am not I don't feel as qualified to talk about NBA season awards as you are. So I'm just gonna give you the awards and then you're gonna give me your pick for them, okay? Okay. Sounds All right. good. And you can feel feel free to respond to my picks if you want to. Okay. Um just for clarification, there's only yeah, there's only one of each award. There's no no separation between the leagues, right? Correct. Yeah, and okay. I can give like my runner up for each of them too. Awesome. Okay, we'll start off rookie of the year. All right, rookie of the year, easily John Morant. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would debate that. Um, he, he just had a very good season, especially when you don't usually see it. Um, point guards usually have a large learning curve when they get into the NBA, just because reading NBA defenses is so much harder than reading college defenses and everything in the NBA happens at a much faster pace that that decision that the decision making a point guard of a point guard has to speed up so fast it's usually a very big adjustment it didn't seem that way for John Morant he just immediately seemed very comfortable running the Grizzlies offense and obviously he ran it so effectively they're in a playoff spot right now yeah, he really seemed unfazed, I feel like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and obviously he has the insane athleticism that leads to some crazy highlights and almost highlights, but yeah. I think, yeah, this is a runaway victory for John Moran. I think Zion Williamson is, I still think Zion Williamson is the best rookie in this class, but he just didn't, obviously didn't do enough to put himself in this conversation. I agree. Um, didn't Jaw almost posterized Baines yep almost posterized Baines almost posterized Anthony Davis almost murdered Kevin Love mm-hmm. he, he's got a, he's got <laughs> yeah. a list of victims yeah his 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 almost highlights are I'm pretty sure they had a compilation of his almost highlights yeah and if he would have landed half of those he'd be a legend ridiculous yeah He's a legend for even trying a few of those. Yeah, I know. You don't, you don't see that confidence from rookies very often. Mm-mm, not at all. Okay, so if I am short on the awards, then just add them. But I, I'll try to get as many as I can. Is the sixth man a one? Yeah. Okay. So for sixth man, this is probably the hardest one for me. I ended up going with Derek Rose just because okay, I yeah. felt like he had the best resume of this 
of all the six mans, he averaged the most points. He was, and this is where it kind of gets tricky and you get into the philosophical debate of what a sixth man was. He was the uh, Pistons' best player. He played a lot of minutes for them, but technically he came off the bench. And so, yeah, I went Derrick Rose. Um, my runner-up was Dennis Schroeder. And mm-hmm. it's because Dennis Schroeder was a key part of what was one of the best closing lineups in the NBA. And I thought Dennis Schroeder made a lot of key improvements to his game this year. Is he on OKC now? Yeah. Okay. And I thought he made a lot of key improvements to his game. Most of them came offensively and provided he was helped by playing off the ball uh, alongside one of the best floor generals of all time and Chris Paul. But last year on the Thunder, you saw him take a lot of bad shots make a lot of decisions with the ball in his hands because he was basically their pure backup point guard when Russ sat. So he spent a lot of time on ball last year. Off ball, I thought he was far more effective. And you even saw him giving more effort defensively as he had easier assignments this year. Yeah, I liked Dennis Schroeder. I didn't know because on 2K or whatever, he was on – wait, he was on the Hawks, right? No. Yeah, he was on the Hawks before the Thunder. He was on the Hawks before the Thunder. And I I was just, he was like the main cover guy on their, you know, when you scroll through the teams, they have the guys. I was, who's like, who's this guy? But he's actually pretty good. I like him. I haven't seen him play a whole bunch. I don't really know much about him. But he's, I feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know enough to say anything about him, but I feel like he's a pretty good player. Yeah. And he had the best season of his career this year. Nice. Um, is most improved player a one? Yep. Okay. So or comeback or, is that the same thing? Uh, there's no comeback, but oh, okay. most improved player is pretty much the same thing. So for most improved player, this was one where I kind of had to do a little bit of soul searching, and I eventually decided to go with a guy who I normally would be super opposed to picking for an award like this, but I went with Luka Doncic. Okay, yeah. And normally, I hate it when people name sophomores, sophomore players for most improved because you're, like, supposed to improve from your rookie year to the second year. Like, that's just what's expected of you. But Luca improved by so much more than what was expected of him. I think when you tell the story of the 2019-2020 NBA season, the most important um, improvement And the improvement that was most impactful in terms of like how the season played out was the improvement of Luka Doncic. And that's why I personally think it would just kind of be, it would be wrong to not say Luka. He's a stud. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was a borderline all-star his rookie year, almost made the all-star team. And that's crazy. Like that's, insane for a rookie barely ever this year this year is arguably one of the best players in the league absolutely was an all-star starter in the mvp conversation gonna be all he was was like leading the mvp race for a little bit right and then he got hurt yeah yeah the kid is the quarterback of the most efficient offense in league history like i'm sorry brandon ingram i'm sorry bam Adebayo. any other year you guys would be very qualified for this award. I just think 
it would be you'd have to be crazy not to pick Luca. The shots that Luca hits are mesmerizing to me sometimes. Yeah. The way and he his, plays basketball is mesmerizing. He's one of my favorite players to watch. It's he's deceptive. Yeah, yeah. If you see him pull up at a basket, like if you saw him, you would be like, whatever. And then he once he gets a roll in, you know, it's almost like Nikola Jokic, where it's like you're you get you're just kind of like like I don't know, just amazed or just kind of baffled that they even do what they do. You know what I mean? Because they don't have the jaw Morant athleticism. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what's crazy to me. Like he's not fast, he's not athletic. And yet somehow he leaves his defender in the dust with Mm -hmm. ease whenever he wants to. Like he just has every trick up his sleeve in terms of getting past a defender. Using his eyes to manipulate like his teammates defenders, which leads to assists and all, all those things you want your point guard to do. Luca has got all those skills and it's only his second year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100% with the Luca pick. Um, and then who's – is MVP the last one? We've still got to do MVP, Coach of the Year. And oh, yeah, Coach of the Year. Player. And, oh, yeah, for defensive player. Yeah, you're right. Uh, let's go defensive. All right, so for defensive player, I went Giannis yeah. pretty easily. That probably the most important player on – the best defensive team in the league by far he's not he hasn't really had to be that sort of lockdown one-on-one defender very much this season and come playoff time he definitely will have to do that and I think he'll have no problem with that but the thing that's been impressive with Giannis besides the unreal steal and block numbers and the unreal efficiency of the Milwaukee defense the thing that's impressed me about Giannis is just his ability to sort of play free safety in the in the Milwaukee um, defense. Like he's jumped past, he jumps passing lanes all the time. He sort of just stands on the nail or on the elbow of the paint and just makes reads, crashes, help side. And that's obviously Brooke Lopez is a very good rim defender. But Giannis is part of why Milwaukee just didn't allow baskets at the rim. It's because in order to get to Brook Lopez, you have to get past Giannis. And he's with one of the longest wingspans in the NBA and that insane quickness and athleticism, he can just bottle up opposing offenses. Yeah, I agree. He's probably the most intimidating player in the NBA and arguably the best player in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to that in a, in a few minutes. I mean, I feel like you could make the argument that he is. Yeah, for sure. But you always have those other people that'll say LeBron and Kawhi, which obviously is fair. Yeah. I like. And I mean, here, let me just get to this point right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for, um, for best player, you kind of have to separate it in to three categories and then decide which of those categories is the most important. I would say best regular season player. No argument is Giannis. Giannis won the MVP last year. He's going to win the MVP this year. He just puts up unreal numbers on the offensive and defensive end. He's the best regular season player by a lot. 
That's so he's your MVP. Yeah, he's my MVP. Yeah, and it's not particularly close. And then um, you have to consider who's the best postseason player, and for me, that's Kawhi Leonard because in the postseason, it gets so slow. It's a one-on-one game. You just need a guy whose shots are undeniable. And what I mean by that is, like Giannis, we saw him last year. Nick Nurse came up with a great game plan. The Raptors had amazing personnel to stop Giannis and Kawhi and Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol. He could all prevent him from getting to the basket, which is obviously what Giannis needs to do. And Giannis had the worst games of his season when it mattered in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Kawhi, you're not going to stop him from getting his baskets because when he like lowers his shoulder into his guy and just works his way to the elbow before he shoots the fadeaway, like there's nobody in the NBA who's going to be able to guard that. No. I or at, at least not going to be able to guard that, like eight positions in a row midway through the fourth quarter. Like that's an undeniable shot. And Kawhi Leonard hits that shot at an efficient clip. And that's why I'd say he's the best postseason player. And then the best like overall player when you combine postseason and regular season, I'd give it to LeBron. Just because Kawhi, as good as he is, he doesn't always bring it night in and night out in the regular season. And that's why he's never won an MVP award. For me, the postseason matters the most which is why i always say Kawhi leonard's the best basketball player in the league but that was a bit of a tangent no yeah yeah you can make the argument for any of those three guys i feel like yeah for sure and then your coach of the year coach of the year is nick nurse yeah won the championship last year lost their two key wing players in Kawhi leonard danny green and somehow got better even though they were fighting multiple injuries on top of injuries the entire season. Nick Nurse just brought different looks, showed insane creativity, and led the Raptors to an improved record over what they had last season. And are they a better team than last year? No. Obviously, like Kawhi Leonard, the loss of, in my opinion, the best player in the NBA will make them far less effective in the postseason. But having a better record the season after you lose the best player along with Danny Green is insanely impressive especially obviously like I said when you're fighting injuries and that's why I easily gave the coach of the year to Nick Nurse over Mike Budenholzer and Frank Vogel who I both thought were deserving as well who are they coaches for oh I'm sorry yeah Frank Vogel for the Lakers and Mike Budenholzer for the Bucks Got it. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Lol. I honestly have not been following the NBA at all. I don't know too much. Yeah, I I wouldn't blame you based on the season the Warriors had. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's fine. The Warriors we had a we had a really good debate last time. Yeah. Regarding oh another team that I was thinking about the Nets will be pretty good once they have everybody back. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But I mean, as long, if KD's on a team, it's hard to count it. It's hard to count them out. Oh, because yeah. KD is easily one of the top five players in the league too. Mm, you don't I, think so? I would say. I mean, are, we talking, are we talking about assuming he goes back to a hundred percent full? Yeah, KD? Ob- obviously, that's always. <laughs> That's always the assumption. Okay, so if we're assuming <laughs> KD is as good 
as he was in his prime, then yeah, he's a top five player. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, he he literally willed the Warriors to a couple championships. So, like by himself, almost in a way, it felt like without KD, we would have been screwed, and it showed when when KD was gone. Yeah, especially when Clay was injured too, or towards ACL. But yeah, moving on. Do you have anything else you want to say regarding the NBA? Nope, that's it for now. All right, sick. Um, so Jonah sent me his UFC fight, his picks for yesterday's fight night. He pretty much took it away. Besides McCann, which that was even a close fight. All those fights were really good, don't you think? They were yeah. all unanimous decisions on the um, uh, main card. Yeah, they were all they were all interesting in their own way. I thought I definitely thought the first fight between Alazan and Lazez was by far the best one. But that was crazy. I honestly thought Hassan was going to knock him out in the first thirty seconds, but Lazez took all of his shots and he was and still to come back afterwards. He I know. Alazan left it all out on the line. Like, Alazan definitely had a game plan, and I don't really think he could have executed that game plan any better. Like, he was getting shot after shot after shot. <laughs> yeah, I know. At a certain yeah. point, if you don't knock him out, you just have to say, like, hats off to the other guy. Like, I gave it my all, and he's still standing. And so, Lazez definitely earned that victory. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go through. I, I missed the first three. I missed Jack Shore. His submission does not surprise me at all, watching his old highlights. I didn't watch the Liana Jojua versus Diana Belbita. And then I didn't watch Jared Gordon versus Chris Fishgold, but apparently it was like um, a crazy, a crazy one sided affair. Jared Gordon took the dub. And then the fight I did watch, the first one was Modestus Bukowskis versus Andreas Michalaitis. And that one was really good. But I've, for some reason, these last few fights, everything's been crazy. There's been things that I've never seen before, like take place in the UFC. And it was like in between rounds. I mean, some of his elbows. So uh, Mikulidis had Modestus Bukowskis basically pinned up against the cage. And dirt towards the end of the round, Bukowski started doing some, uh, landing some elbows and it just kind of disoriented. And I'm obviously concussed, uh, Michaelidis. And in between rounds, they had to call it off because they opened up the, the cage door for the Cutman to come inside. And um, Michaelidis was so out of it that when he went to stand up, he like fell through the, he like fell back. And then the ref called it after that. But I've never seen something like that take place where you had some borderline 12 to six elbows TKO someone. And then the ref calls it in between rounds. I've never seen that in my life, but Modestus is a really big, pretty sure they were light heavyweights and they're, they looked the Modestus Modestus is really good. Looking back on it. Do you think the ref should have called it like before the end of the round or uh, was it, was it not really obvious that he was hurting until after the round was I, Watching it live or watching it the first time, uh, watching the TKO or him call it, I was like, that's a good stoppage. But then after watching it again, I don't know if I feel like he maybe could have continued, but I think it was a good stoppage considering the fact that if you're not standing up or physically trying to get back to your corner, you know, I feel. Yeah. And you're like, uh, it would have been grabbing the back of your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think he would have been in a good position if they were to start round two. I feel like he would have just got finished. And then Lerone Murphy really impressed me a lot because Ricardo uh, Hamos is such a fluid, good striker. And the crazy, he was doing some crazy spinning techniques, which were like flawless. But Lerone just started taking him down, which was surprising, I think. And uh, yeah, he landed some ground and pound. Er, yeah, and then that's how he won, and it was really impressive. I like Lerone Murphy. There's a lot of good fighters at that are fighting out of England. And then the you watch the Chamaya fight. I don't, was that the last? He had the one? huge beard, and he just um, he beat the crap out of John Phillips, and he just submitted him. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that was complete utter domination. And he, they call um, Chamaev Habib 2.0, and he definitely proved it for sure. He did exactly what Khabib does to people. And then moving into the fight, we were just talking about Munir Lizez was really impressive, and his chin was insane. Yeah, that was an awesome fight. I think Lizez is going to be a problem in the future. He's yeah, pretty good. I agree. They're welterweights, I'm pretty sure, 170. Uh, yeah, they are. Um, Munir Lizez, he, I thought I going into the fight, I was like, he's going to get worked. Because Hassan is like, all, all ha- they were calling him Al-Hassan, and I was like, there's no way his last name is. It's got to be Al-Hassan. For and sure. The crazy thing is, I thought after this fight, Al Hassan is ten and two, but all ten of his wins have been knockouts in the first round, which mm-hmm. he almost got. He probably should have got. Uh, if it was uh, any other guy, probably. Yeah, I feel like nine times out of ten, if you land the kind of shots he was landing, you get the knockout. But Lazez well, just did incredibly well to stay up. Both of those guys are really exciting. I really like uh, Al Hassan. He's got the most exciting. I mean, he was he considering how much output he put out in the first forty seconds of that fight. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was able to stay somewhat. Like I, he he saved a lot of energy. I feel like considering the fact that he put out so much, he was not as tired as most people would have been. True, but I also feel like. If you're a fight, fighter like Alisson, if you're going to win, you've got to win like by knocking the other guy mm-hmm. out. Because like, a guy like Alisson's not really going to win by a decision, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of sense by the end of the fight, he wasn't really throwing those haymakers like he was in the beginning, you know? Mm, no. He's, he, he had one or two shots, but it wasn't coming in it, like in flurries like it was yeah. in the beginning, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I but, really like both of those. Both of those guys are really... And that was that was probably the funnest fight to watch out of the main card, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the next one was Molly McCann. Yep. Versus Tyler Santos. Tyler's good. Yeah, Tyler. She's so long. She looked really good. Cause with Molly McCann, obviously doesn't she usually overwhelm like just with her power and like the force she can get behind. She has good boxing. Yeah. But Santos wasn't really even letting her get close to her in this fight. Because the range played such a big factor in that fight. Yeah, yeah. She's a big, um, they are, yeah, they're 120. She's a big flyweight. And she did really good on the ground, too, I thought. Mm -hmm. She dominated her. Yeah. Um, And the thing that was just interesting for this one, when I was sort of making my prediction and doing a little bit of research before the fight, was that... 
when the line opened, McCann was a minus 300 favorite. And by the time the fight started, she was down to minus 160. <laughs> and anytime the line changes by that much, it's kind of a signal that something like is going on. And so I, I feel like that should have been a clue that Santos like definitely was going to win the fight, you know? I, f- I agree. I feel as if... I don't understand why Santos was an underdog. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Didn't McCann just have a much better record going into the fight against, like, higher level? Pro- probably. probably. Yeah, I think that's the only reason. But it was clear that Santos kind of dominated her in every way. During yeah, the really impressive. Five of seven takedowns. That's solid. Mm-hmm. Pretty much outstruck her. And then moving on to... Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Stamen. Jimmy Rivera is a stud. Yeah. He, he Cody Stamen is really good. I think they're pretty evenly matched, but I think that I would give the edge to Jimmy Rivera. Obviously, he took the dub, but Cody was just really hesitant to get any exchanges with him. He was okay countering, but Jimmy's just such a really strong, powerful guy. And the thing I noticed about Jimmy were the leg kicks. Like mm-hmm. He kicked Stamen with such force i felt like that really kind of slowed cody down and and cody could not get a takedown to save his life he got no, one no and that that's kind of cody's strength isn't it once he gets on the ground and mm-hmm. revere didn't really allow that to happen at all cody has some pretty good boxing and striking he displayed it in his last fight where he basically dominated brian kelleher but jimmy rivera is definitely a leap up in talent i i think yeah I, I really, I I really like both of those guys. But Jimmy is a beast. You can Jimmy Rivera gave Peter Yan the current champion like a run for his money, and you can see why. Mm-hmm. He's a stud. Um, but yeah, his takedown defense was insane. Yeah, it was. Cody looked like he had some for sure um, shots. Like yeah, he had it in deep, like single legs and doubles, but or mostly just singles, but. Um, Jimmy stuffed him. Yeah. He managed to work his way to the fence and just stuffed him. One of the most impressive things I think for when I watch the USC fighting, one of the things that is the craziest to me is when they go for a kick and their opponent catches it and then goes for the takedown mm-hmm. and how they can balance on one foot. I don't understand. They get to the fence and then not go down. Yeah. Like that sort of balancing and core strength is unreal. It is. And, and Rivera had a few of those in this fight. Mm-hmm. Rivera's just a scary dude. Like, Yeah. He's a beast. And then your boy Tim Elliott versus Ryan Benoit. Yeah, Tim Elliott. I, I'd never seen him before. He's <laughs> super fun to watch. He's yeah, kind of he weird. But yeah, he's really awkward, but he's, he's, pre- he's really technical and good. Yeah. I like he, watching him. And he's always, like, shifting around, like – from side to side he's like in constant movement he's which, tough as nails yeah and it's probably deceptive like they were saying the announcers were saying like he's the sort of guy you have to really feel out because his reactions and um his answers are going to be different than what a normal fighter would do i feel like i agree i think that benoit did a really good job though mm-hmm. 
it was pretty evenly matched fight. I would have given if I turned the announcers off and just watched it as myself, I would have given the edge to Benoit for sure. He landed some hard shots, but Tim Elliott, he did. Huh? He, yeah, he was definitely getting like the more powerful. He cracked his, his striking is insane. I thought Elliott was definitely hurting more than Benoit after that fight for sure. I agree. But Elliot, I think, outpointed him, and he had more strikes for sure. Yeah, higher volume. And I think that can also be attributed just to, like, his movement, too. Like, when you're moving around and just in that constant state of motion and you're just kind of tapping him, tapping him, tapping him, and, like, constantly touching him, mm-hmm. it adds up for sure. Yeah. I, I like I I liked this card a lot. It was really exciting. That's what you have to do. Sometimes you just got to watch some, and you're going to find some stars. Because some of these guys are going to be beasts in the future. Because Jimmy Rivera is a stud. Cody Stamen's a stud. Ryan Benoit is really impressive. Tim Elliott, he's low-key a gatekeeper, but he's super exciting, and um, he's so tough to put away. Yeah. Um, and then in the main event, the main event was, I thought, really good. Danny Gay, I feel like, held his own, but... Calvin Cater, you could see, you could just there's he's just on a little bit of a different level. Way more endurance, I thought. Oh, mm-hmm. no, obviously, that can probably um, be attributed to the big shot Ige took on his eye. He could probably barely see by the yeah. time the fight was over. But yeah. in the fourth and fifth rounds, Cater kind of showed why he was the favorite for sure. But I really like Ige. He's gonna he's gonna. He's gonna come back stronger, and uh, he's he he's gonna get more experience fighting in five round fights, especially if he can put up that kind of fight against Calvin Cater, who's the mo- one of the most dangerous guys in the one hundred forty five pound division. If he can give a guy like that a run for his money, I think he's gonna be solid. And when we were talking about this fight on the podcast the other day, I think we both mentioned how Ige is just one of those tough guys with sort of a jaw seal here, not going to knock out and Ige is going to make you like go the distance. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Like Ige was giving effort and just uh, going all out for the entire 25 minutes. And he just didn't have it. in the. I thought rounds. Ige did a really good job of landing, getting out and landing multiple shots. Yeah. He, did, he did a really good job. Yeah, he, he he hurt Cater. He hit him For straight. Sure. He hit him with a straight that um really uh, busted up Cater's nose. And I thought Ige did a really good job, but Cater he has the endurance advantage. Yeah, for sure. Ige pretty much did everything that could have been expected from him, but Cater's like the favorite for a reason, and he didn't really Kate they both fought good fights and when like both guys are going to the peak of their abilities like obviously the favorite's gonna win yeah this main this main card was pretty they matched up some really similar fighters and the way some guys won it was it was not razor thin but you could just see just some guys barely scraped out a win because they were so evenly matched i feel like they did a really good job of putting these guys to get some of these fights together yeah i also thought like 
definitely similar skill levels, but mm-hmm. also some fights that had contrasting styles, which is always sort of an interesting thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting watching Ige fight because he he doesn't have like the attributes besides his like his um reach. He yeah. just looks like a normal guy in there. Yeah, and he's not like crazy athletic or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's just a normal dude. <laughs> it was so funny watching him in the corner. His um his coach was like, um, have some fun in there. And Ige, <laughs> Ige had to bust it up out. He's like, I'm having fun. <laughs> it was so funny. He said it like completely monotone. He's like, I'm having fun. It was hilarious. It's like, you can't really have a lot of fun in there when you're getting busted up. No. But it was exciting. And I am looking forward to next week's fights as well. They're they're just banging them out there over in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and what about the ones on Saturday? Are the, mm-hmm. Is that going to be an interesting card too? Yeah, Joseph Benavidez is fighting Davison Figueredo. And then the the co-main is really interesting. It's Kelvin Gastelum versus Jack Hermanson. And that'll be really good. Oh, and then Mark Chikasey's fighting another guy from England that I really like. He was on a skid. Um, he was on a skid and he his contract with the UFC was in jeopardy because he was he lost three fights in a row but he got a good win and i don't know if he's fought since then i'm sure he has but i'm excited to watch him fight because he's good and then Askar Askar Askarov is another really good 125 pounder who's fighting and the main card is pretty good on this one as well i'm really looking forward to the co-main though jacker manson versus kelvin gaslam kelvin gaslam gave the middleweight champ israel adesanya like the, his hardest fight to date in my opinion. So yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be fireworks. And it's, I'm going to, I'm really interested to see how Joseph Benavidez does considering the fact that he's been open about his um, depression and headaches, obviously caused by the amount of damage he's taken in the UFC. It's like surprising to me that he was still wants to fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he, since this is a championship bout, he wants to get that title, but, I don't know how much longer he's going to want to defend it if he does win. Right, yeah. Because how if you achieve your lifelong goal and you already know in the back of your head that you have sustained some pretty serious injuries and been knocked out pretty severely multiple times, I don't know how much longer you want to continue. Maybe he just wants to go out on top by sort of winning this championship. Yeah, but it's kind of annoying though because a lot of t- the UFC – it would, it would just kind of suck. You don't want to invest the money into a person that is not going to defend in the future. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're just going to have to do this over again, it's going to suck. Like if he wins and retires, that's kind of annoying. Yeah. Cause then you're just going to have to do another thing for another vacant title, which is yeah. stupid. And the flyweight division, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated divisions in the UFC, but people, a lot of, for some reason, people just don't want to see him. I think they've done a really good job at building it up there's some really good contenders there but for some reason people just don't want to watch them because you don't get the crazy knockouts because they're not as big and strong and powerful mm-hmm. but i like watching a fight because they're so fast and technical but yeah it's gonna be fun davison figueredo is crazy the only reason he missed weight last the last time these guys fought and then it was only joseph benavidez fighting for a title which kind of sucked and then Joseph lost, so then they had to redo it. Ooh, Joe Duffy's on the card, too. 
Joe Duffy. Joe Duffy's Irish. He he's beat Conor McGregor. That was a long time ago. Wow. They, they're not even on the same level now, but. Yes, yeah, this look, could be a fun one to watch. It should be. I mean, I, I've grown to understand that the UFC rarely tries to make fights that aren't exciting, even though you might not recognize the names. Yeah, yeah they know what they're doing. Yeah, they definitely know what they're doing. And usually, it's just really fun to um, find the stars, the hidden stars, like the hidden Conor, not necessarily Conor McGregor, but some of those guys that are going to rise and become contenders. Yeah, for sure. Like Askar Askarov's a really interesting guy. <laughs> he's super, he's undefeated. And then, let's see, he has one drive. Forget who that was against. It was against... Oh, Brandon Moreno. Yeah, Brandon Moreno is probably my favorite 125-er. He's super sick. He has such good boxing. There's so many fun. I, I wish I could have been a matchmaker in the UFC. There's so many guys that would um, match up with each other. It'd be a crazy job. That should be a, that should be a segment on our next podcast. Yeah. Like Kellen's top 10 hypothetical UFC matches. Yes. I would love doing that. I think that would be the literal sickest job ever, even though I know there's a lot that goes into it and stuff, but it'd be crazy. Another thing that would be fun is if colleges, I wish for one season that they could do an open um, scheduling system where they could just like pick random schools. I wish there was more non-conference games. Yeah. I wish there was way more interlap in college football and basketball because it's so much fun in the preseason games. Mm-hmm. preseason tournaments when you get just uh when you get like a a uh i don't know just like a kentucky playing oregon or something crazy like that or like yeah. oklahoma versus oregon state like that's fun yeah like the pk80 is pretty sick i like that yeah, the pk80 was cool especially that one year the first year when they got all the really good teams to go that was super fun it was but yeah very interesting stuff. Yeah. Anything else you really want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. I think pretty soon we'll have to start getting into some uh, NBA predictions for when the season comes. When's back. the season expect like expected to start? On the thirtieth of July, which I think is yeah, and only two weeks from today. So you'll Got have it. to. So we'll have to save that for another time, though, because I think I could spend days on that <laughs> yeah it's really sad there's so much stuff getting canceled like my dad was getting pumped about the portland pickle there's like the wild west uh, some um league or whatever it's per, like the corvallis nights kind of and oh, that got, that just got canceled and oh, so there's just everything's getting canceled dude it's so sad but it, it's like it's not surprising at all no not at all but yeah i think this was a good one yes sir yeah, so when do you want to do the next one? Uh, would you like to do one tomorrow where we go over the UFC card for Saturday? Sure, yeah, we can go over it more in depth. Yeah, I guess so. We kind of glanced over it today, but anytime works for me. Okay, dope. And then, yeah, maybe we could do one on Sunday or something or Monday. For sure, yeah. Okay, yeah, awesome. All right. Well, oh, Thank you guys for listening. And then I'll do a little shout out. Follow us on Instagram. Don't forget and subscribe because we need more listeners because we want to eventually do things where like we answer the questions of our fans. Like that'd be sick. 
and then give us the five star reviews too. Oh yeah. Even leave a leave a comment review if you're so inclined. Awesome. But yeah. All right. Bye bye. Thank you again for another amazing episode. Of course, anytime. All right. Bye bye.